0: Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, By Which Ye Are Saved, and will come primarily from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just as a way of reminder, we've been undertaking a Brief three part series from the book of 1 Corinthians here on Words of Grace over the past now three weeks, this being our third message in this series. And the purpose of this series is to share relevant thoughts that help us in our modern day and age from the book of 1 Corinthians. In message one of this series, we contrasted the wisdom of this world with the wisdom of God. And we talked about the fact that the world around us, and by world, I mean the wicked of this world, those who do not know Christ. Well, the wisdom of God to them is foolishness, but God will destroy the wisdom of this world. He'll destroy. He will have victory over the various philosophical schools of thought, the secular ideas, the foolish and sinful ideals of this world that are so popular and growing in popularity around us in the world. God will have the last say. His wisdom is vindicated every day, but his wisdom will certainly be vindicated in the end. And even in this modern day and age in which we live, wisdom being justified over children, God calls things that the world perceives as weak and foolish to triumph over things that are esteemed strong or wise by the world at large around us. In Message 2 of this series, we focused on how crucial it is to know nothing but Christ Jesus and Him crucified. We talked about how Paul, when he was with Corinth, said he determined to know nothing among them save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and how important it is for our churches to be Churches that are built upon Christ, to know nothing among each other but Christ, to not be pulled into the various concepts that the world around us obsesses over, the culture, things that are popular, the entertainment, the latest hot-button political topics that people argue about each and every week on social media or around the lunch table at work. There should be a difference in the church and the world, and one of the greatest differences is those who are disciples of Christ, they are to know nothing but Christ Jesus. Now again, as we emphasized last week, that doesn't mean that we don't have a life outside of church, and it doesn't mean that in church the only thing we preach or study is the crucifixion, but in every aspect of our lives, Christ is to be the center focal point, and so Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, servants to masters as unto the Lord. Masters, remember, you have a master in heaven. Fathers, provoke not your children under wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You could go on and on from Scripture. Showing this concept demonstrated that God is the center of all we do, and the Crucifixion of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ is to be the center and the foundation of our lives. To fail at this is very dangerous for a church, as we noticed from Christ's warning to the church at Ephesus, because they had left their first love. Well, Christ was threatening to take away the candlestick from this church body. It's a very serious thing. It's a very crucial thing for a church to know only Christ and to be devoted to Christ in everything. When we depart from that, we err, we sin, and our congregations and our spiritual health is at risk. This morning, I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the primary passage that we'll consider today, and share some thoughts regarding Paul's solution for the immense troubles in the church at Corinth. Now, just to remind you of the sort of problems that the church at Corinth had, obviously from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is a congregation that was falling victim to the philosophies of this world. This wouldn't be the only congregation affected by worldly philosophy. I dare say that the church in America today is very infected by a variety of different philosophies, whether they be secular philosophies, political philosophies. We are, of all people, most distracted, to borrow the language from Paul's message to the Athenians in the book of Acts chapter 17. You might remember that he tells them that they are too superstitious. Well, not only are we too superstitious in the United States of America, and that includes many Christians, we are too distracted. We are absolutely distracted. This church in Corinth, they had not only been inundated with worldly wisdom and philosophy, but they had divided over which preacher was their favorite preacher. Some said they were of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Cephas or Peter, and some of Jesus. The church is not to ever be factioning, and this faction, Paul would tell them there are heresies or factions among them, that was something that was displeasing to the Lord. It was dangerous to the church, and quite simply put it, must never be. It's something that the shame, whenever it happens in a congregation or in a region, we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're to be people who are working diligently for peace in our local churches, and being forgiving and Christ-like all at the same time is one of the secrets to that. Well, Paul would tell this church that it's not good that they're so divided. In chapter 5, there's a person who has committed adultery with his father's wife, Rather than dealing with that and exercising church discipline, they were glorying in it. They enjoyed the scandal. Paul would rebuke that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read of people who had been suing one another, taking one another to court, suing people in their own church. You had people who were serving and indulging in the Lord's Supper before other people could have a chance to participate in the Lord's Supper. And you also had people who were becoming full and drunken in the church at Corinth. They were committing drunkenness and gluttony in the Lord's Supper, of all things. Could you imagine drinking so much wine at communion that you became intoxicated? What a shame that was, what a mockery to the crucifixion of Christ and the remembrance of his crucifixion through that supper to become intoxicated at communion. That was a problem that the church at Corinth was Having to endure Paul would tell them that because of their misuse of communion well there were people there who were sick and weak some people had died because God was disciplining them he was chastening this church body as many as he loves he rebukes and chastens thank the Lord that he chastens us it's great to know that God chastens us because he chastens every son that he receives and if a person receives not chastening he's actually not a child of God to Be a child of God is to be chastened of God, because God is a good Father, and He chastens every one of His children. But this church had been chastened for what they had done. There were people there who would stand up and make a show of preaching in foreign languages, and nobody knew what they were talking about. And you read about this in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, but in chapter 15 we read probably what is the most devastating problem that the church of Corinth was enduring— They were infected with a heretical doctrine, a false teaching that denied the resurrection of the body. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, it has 58 verses, this lengthy chapter. It's basically a short essay, a treatise defending the resurrection of the body based upon the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we introduce to you this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8, understand that what this is, is Paul's solution regarding the immense troubles in Corinth. What is going to fix the problem? What's the medicine for the sickness? What is it that they need that will help them recover themselves so that this church has a chance of surviving Another generation. And just understand that no church is immune to dying. No church is immune to losing their candlestick. But every church is one generation away from closing its doors if the wrong attitude, the wrong ideas, the wrong decisions are made. And so let he that thinks he stands take heed. Fear. Let us fear, lest we go the same way as so many congregations throughout the history of Christianity. We should never be puffed up into thinking that we are immune to being disciplined of the Lord. The moment that we think we have no problems that we need to work out in our own congregation, that's the moment we're overtaken with pride, we have left humility, and we are on dangerous ground for sure. Let's look to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-8. through Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also, and listen to this, ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time." Now, I read more of that than I needed to read for the context of today's broadcast, what we actually want to consider on today's broadcast, the solution to the problem. But I wanted to begin tying in some of the thoughts that Paul would share with them. So when Paul is writing this, he's writing to a church that no longer believes, at least in part, in the resurrection at the last day. And what Paul does is remind them of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the teaching of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. How would the knowledge of the resurrection help this particular church body? Well, it would help this particular church body because they no longer believed in the resurrection, and Christ's resurrection demands the resurrection of his people— We know, because he rose again, that we will be raised again incorruptible in the last day, in the second coming of our Lord. And so to get a little bit ahead of myself on the application of this, the solution for this church's problem, the church at Corinth, and their denial of the resurrection, was to remember the gospel. And the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, because Christ has been resurrected, so shall God's people be resurrected, and what will deliver this church from their problems is to remember the gospel. Now, to tie the three messages that we've shared with you thus far together, today and the previous two broadcasts, in message one we talked about the wisdom of God, message two we talked about knowing only Christ, and today we emphasize the importance of the gospel in our church bodies— First of all, there is no separating, in a teaching sense, Christ and the preaching of Christ from the gospel. To preach the gospel is to preach Christ, and to preach Christ is to preach the gospel. And so you can't say, well, today I'm preaching the gospel, next time I'm going to preach Christ, or this church doesn't preach Christ, but they preach the gospel. No, to preach Christ is the gospel, And to preach the gospel is to preach Christ. Notice that. Paul reminds them of the gospel that he delivered unto them, how Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Verses 3 and 4. And then he was seen of witnesses. Hundreds of witnesses can attest to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in Paul's day. You could go literally ask people who had seen Jesus resurrected, risen from the dead. There's no separating teaching Christ from presenting the information of the gospel. If you're preaching Christ, you're preaching the gospel. If you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching Christ. Also tying these messages in together. Christ is wisdom, the wisdom of God, personified. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24 says, Unto those who believe, and again they believe because they are saved, they're no longer natural men, they are called, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ is God's wisdom personified. Jesus has victory over the grave. Jesus, the wisdom of God personified, is going to have victory over the wisdom of this world in the end of time. And so as we think about knowing only Christ and knowing the wisdom of God and preaching the gospel, these three concepts mesh into one. Christ is the wisdom of God personified. We know only Christ and Him crucified, and thereby we have this wisdom that will have victory over the wisdom of this world, and we preach the gospel to our deliverance as New Testament churches when we go through trouble, as we'll emphasize in just a moment, and to preach the gospel is to preach Christ. And so this is like the threefold cord in the book of Ecclesiastes that can't be broken. The wisdom of God is Christ. We know only Christ. We preach only Christ. And this has a delivering effect on our church bodies. As we think about Christ as the wisdom of God personified, it always reminds me of another passage in the book of John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the truth, personified. Jesus is life. He's the source of all life. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus is, as we have emphasized, wisdom personified. Jesus is all of these things. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what do you tell a broken church full of strayed and straying Christians? Well, you tell them simply— to remember the gospel. Think about all the sick churches in America today, and you say, well, this church down the road, it's belonging to this denomination or that denomination. Their membership's small. They don't have a lot of people going out there. They haven't had growth in a long time. What can that church do to be healthy again? And you'll often hear various pragmatic approaches mentioned. Well, they need to modernize and go contemporary. They need to paint their walls black and get a black stage and darken the lights over the crowd and have a professional-sounding alternative rock band sing their music on Sunday morning. And the pastor needs to trade in his suit and get a pair of skinny jeans and a blazer, if he even wears a blazer. Just give him a graphic T-shirt and a youthful haircut. Doesn't matter if he's in his 40s. Let him grow out his beard and look like a hipster. And that's really going to save that church down the road. I would insist that if we make our churches look more and more like the world, to make the world more and more comfortable in our churches, we actually, along the way, we cease to be churches. If we were to do that, we would not be a church anymore here at Flint River. If the gospel were replaced with a motivational talk, if the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, if that was replaced with praise and worship music that's very fluffy and light and no longer had doctrinal truth, if it even contained truth. It might even be music that contains error. Well, frankly, we wouldn't be a church anymore, because we've shifted the focus from the Lord. Now listen, I know that's a hard thing to hear. That may have made you angry at me here, listening to Words of Grace today. But throughout Christian history, Christians in moments of spiritual weakness have turned to the arm of the flesh, anything and everything that they can, other than remembering the gospel. And it's very simple what churches need when they're sick, when they're dying, when they're at risk of losing their candlestick. They need to remember the gospel. There was a time in church history when the church merged with the state. Now, in the backdrop to the church merging with the state, go back and read about Roman Christian history and the group that became Roman Catholicism, and you can see that prior to the time of the adopting of Christianity as the official state religion of Rome. What predated that was a time of great doctrinal controversy over Christology, and so some Christians were more than eager to go along with the merger of church and state. They've been persecuted for a couple of centuries. Heretics are running wild, so let's just merge up with the government and see if the government can enforce our doctrine and help us be delivered from the heretics and cease to persecute us and Well, as you know, that ended very poorly as it relates to the purity of Christianity in a doctrinal and a practical sense. That led to some of the greatest abuses by so-called clergy upon innocent people. It led to some of the greatest ignorance among people who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ that has ever existed in church history. It simply wasn't a good thing. Over and over in church history, Christians have turned to anything but what really is going to help them, whether it be the government or entertainment, what's popular, looking like the world, seeker-sensitive ideas, whatever the case may be. But what the church at Corinth needs, what the church at Flint River needs, what any church that you might attend, whoever is listening to the broadcast today, what your church needs is the gospel of Christ, that Jesus died, according to the Scriptures, for our sins, and that he was successful in that. He didn't die to make salvation possible, He didn't die to make salvation something that you have a chance at. He didn't die to do as much as He could and leave the rest up to you. Jesus died upon the cross to save His people from their sins. And as we read in John 17, He had power over all flesh, and in His death He gave eternal life to as many as the Father had given Him. And according to John 6, they will all come to Him. They'll all know Him from the least to the greatest. They shall be all taught of God. None can come to Him except they be drawn of the Father, All his sheep, according to John 10, will hear his voice and follow him. He'll give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, nor shall any man pluck them out of his hand. Listen, salvation is certain for the group of people the Bible calls the elect of God. That's not popular in today's time. Maybe that's one reason why so many Christian assemblies are sick in today's time. They've left the gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus was crucified, that He died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Churches need to remember the Gospel. Now, going through this just a verse at a time to emphasize how this is beneficial to us, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. This church was founded on the Gospel. The foundation of this church was Christ. What they needed was not innovation, but remembering. They needed to remember. Remember, brethren, this gospel. Remember this gospel. By which ye are saved, verse 2, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, that's a passage right there that people struggle with, and they find it difficult to apply correctly. You'll hear somebody say, well, this church here, they... They were a group of never-have-beens. You know, they're, they're just pretending to be a church, and they've never really received the gospel, so they're really a bunch of unregenerates. But that's not what Paul says about this church. You have people maybe that are in the Calvinistic persuasion who would say, well, this just goes to show you that this group here is a bunch of false professors. They've never been born again to start with, and... They just thought they received it the first time, and they thought they stood in it, but they really could be saved, actually be saved, if they would only accept this gospel that I preached unto them when I was there. But that's also not what Paul says. Remember, they received it, and they stood in it. They stand in the gospel. But you know what's so amazing about this? The Apostle Paul actually describes this group of people here not in terms of being unregenerate. No, listen to how he describes them in chapter 1. He says, "...unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus." So, in chapter 15, "...by which ye are saved," he's writing to sanctified people in Christ Jesus. In chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, "...these people are called to be saints." So, he writes this letter to people who are called to be saints. He says to these people, "...called to be saints, by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory." Now, if you're called to be saints you're going to be with God in glory. Again, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And yet these people, in some sense, could be saved, even though they were sanctified and they were called to be saints. You say, well, maybe as some of the more Arminian people believe, they had been saved, but now they were lost because they had fallen away, and they lost their salvation. That's what pure Arminianism teaches, that you can be saved and then lose your salvation. But notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, God shall confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's referring to the second coming of Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. So this congregation of people, they are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, and they will be confirmed blameless. Under the end, in the second coming of Christ, because God is faithful. This is not a group of unregenerate people. It is not a group of people who lack eternal salvation. It's not a group of people at risk of going to hell. You just read that, and I'm to the point with it that people can argue with Paul, because he's very plain in what he said. We don't need to argue with him. We simply need to believe what he said. But these people who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints and would be confirmed to the end because God is faithful, there was a way that they could be saved by remembering the Gospel in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. What Paul is saying in First Corinthians chapter fifteen is not concerning individual salvation but the deliverance of that church from heresy. Beloved, we need to be saved from heresy now, I'm thankful to know that the foundation of God stands sure having this seal. the Lord knows them that are his that second Timothy chapter two. And the context of that is heretical doctrine, false teaching. I'm thankful to know that nothing can separate us from God, that no matter what a child of God falls victim to, falls prey to in this world regarding false teaching, that he's secure in Christ. However, I want you to be delivered from heresy as you live in this world. I want your congregation to be delivered from false teaching here in this world. If there's a false notion at the church that I pastor, and it begins to be propagated among the church body, my prayer is that the church would be saved from that false teaching. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, by which ye, as a congregation, plural, as a group of people, are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Churches are saved, from false doctrine through remembering the gospel that has been preached to them. Now, remember what this church at Corinth was dealing with, this heresy that there was no resurrection of the body. Well, obviously, if they believe there was no resurrection of the body, and they remembered the gospel, and the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, well, it's easy to see how that particular teaching Would deliver them from the heresy that they're being infected with. But if it's Arminianism, well, you can be delivered from that false doctrine through remembering the gospel. In fact, every single false doctrine that could affect a church body, whether it be angel worship like the Colossians were dealing with, Judaism like the Galatians were dealing with, non-resurrectionism like the church at Corinth— or Gnosticism that John would confront in 1 John. Every single heresy can be eradicated from the church through the medicine of the gospel of Christ. You just have to find the right application. The church at Philippi was in the midst of a controversy. They were divided. They were fighting. And yet, putting into practice Christ-likeness, having this mind in them, which was also in Christ, of making themselves of no reputation, but taking on them the form of a servant, By being like Jesus, where would you learn that? In the gospel. By being like Jesus, the church at Philippi could be delivered from whatever it was that was dividing them. Paul talks about that later in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, talk about a dispute in the church at Philippi. So you and I can be delivered as individuals and collectively as churches through remembering the gospel of Christ. Now, lastly, we live in a day where our churches are small, and 30 to 40% of people never went back to church after the COVID shutdown. So I want to end our broadcast today with a simple command of Christ in the book of Mark chapter 16. You and I not only need to believe the gospel for our own personal benefit, but so that our churches grow and God's people are blessed, we also need to share the gospel, Jesus said unto them as he commanded his disciples directly before ascending up into glory, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts chapter 8, as Christians were scattered abroad, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. May we go and preach this gospel that we stand in, that we receive, and that is we put it into practice in our own personal lives that delivers us from ruin and enables our church to stand for another generation. Again, I'm Ben Winslet thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today. Inviting you to write and let me know that you have received the broadcast and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a primitive Baptist church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtosion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.